What you need to know in order to grow, next on Abounding Grace. You want to grow? God wants you to grow. You want to move from milk to meat? God wants you to move from milk to meat. It's not God holding you back. It's not God holding me back. If I want to give an hour to the Word tomorrow, I'll give an hour. If I want to give five hours, I'll give five hours. If I want to give 20 hours, that would be hard. But let's just say that desire is what God gave me. Do you know that you really do what you want to do? You really do. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You lay down your life. That I would be set free. Oh, Jesus, I sing for when our kids are little, we expect certain behaviors, like an occasional temper tantrum, sucking on a pacifier, crawling around on the ground playing with toys. But if a 30 or 40 year old is engaging in that same behavior, we'd be concerned. That's because we expect growth with time. And that's true spiritually as well. Today on Abounding Grace, Pastor Ed Taylor shows us why spiritual growth is to occur from new birth until we go to be with the Lord. 1 Corinthians speaks of those who could be classified as carnal Christians. And if that's you today, Pastor Ed will point to the hope that is found in this passage too. We're in chapter 3. Do you know that you can grow as much as you desire to grow? That it's unlimited for you. It's not bound by your education level. It's not bound by whether you can read or not. It's not bound by any of the human limitations. If you present yourself to the Lord, you can grow. You can grow as much as you want, as fast as you want, in areas of the scriptures as long as you want. I mean, even with all the tools that we have today, you can grow and I can grow as fast as I desire. It all has to do with what we do really in our spare time, what we meditate on. What's the course of our life? Because you know the course of your life, that's where you're going to end up. That's where I'm going to end up, where I point my life. And I want you to notice the thing that he desires us to grow in. This is what brings tremendous maturity is grace. You see that in verse 18? Grow in the grace and the knowledge. They're balanced. The grace and the knowledge. That undeserved grace, that undeserved, unmerited blessing of God that even when we fail, God doesn't. And he picks us up and dusts us off to keep us on the right track. He says, grow in grace. Grow in the grace of Jesus. Because grace is a motivator. It's a compelling reason to live the grace of God. To think of what God has done. You know, sometimes the believers will talk about grace being saved, but grace is entirety of your life. It's not just being pulled out of the pit that you now live in the grace where you don't go back to that pit. It's not just being saved from some addiction. It's the grace of God and the power of God and the knowledge of God to keep you going back. And he says, grace, grow in it. And I don't think everyone's convinced. You might not even be convinced that Christians grow under grace, under the influence of God's grace. Instead, you know what people offer? Instead of the grace of God, they say, here, here's how you can grow, believer. Here's a list of rules and regulations. I hope you have fun following them. Do this, do this, and do this, and don't do that, don't do that, and you're going to be fine. You know what that does? It doesn't grow a person. It stifles them. It pins them under the 
thumb of the law. And we spent all those years as a church studying the book of Romans, learning that the law has been given to us not to help us live righteous, but to reveal how unrighteous we are so that we can cry out to the God of grace that will forgive us, not to keep some standard, but to live by the power of the Holy Spirit. The law will not save you. And if you try to keep people under the law, you'll find that many people will go out, okay, okay, if that's what you want, they're very sincere, and if that's what you want, okay, I'll work, and I'll work, and I'll work, and I'll work, and, and what happens is that they burn out trying to keep a standard that they could never keep. And then they're all condemned over it because they, they can't keep it because of the failure that the law brings. But you know, if you tell me about the love of God and you remind me about his grace, then not only does my heart come alive, but I start to love other people too. I start to extend forgiveness. I start to extend grace in people's lives. I start to allow the work and, and, and knowing that the Holy Spirit can work in me, then I have hope that the Holy Spirit can work in you too. And I don't have to jump in and try to fix things and try to, I can just allow the Spirit of God to work because I know he's worked in my life. Why? Because I've grown in grace. I've seen it happen. I've seen it work. You tell me how he cares for me. You tell me how secure I am in him. And I'll sell my life out for a God that loves me like that. I'll just, I'll go, I'll go to the inner, just to any part of the world. I'll do anything for him. I'll start to serve his people. Barking orders at Christians isn't going to make them do better. Barking orders at Christians isn't, isn't going to improve. It's actually going to make them do worse. It's going to bring out a worse motive. Because they'll go forward and they'll try to accomplish what has been said in the flesh. They'll become carnal. Somewhere along the way, the Corinthians fell from grace. They strayed from the doctrine of grace. And they became carnal. They failed to be that church with an atmosphere of grace. Now that atmosphere of grace isn't permission to live like the devil. You know that by now. So, well, you know, if it's the grace of God, I'll just, I'll just come on a Wednesday night, I'll ask for forgiveness, and then as soon as I leave, I'll go right back to live for the world. That's not grace, that's foolishness. To think that what you sow and what I sow, I won't reap. And that God's just going to allow me to live my own life. That's misunderstanding grace, that's still carnality. See, he's the God of all grace. And the reason why you and I can live under grace is because of what Jesus has done. Like there was a price to be paid that you and I couldn't pay. And so that decision now, you can understand. I can understand. I can see it clear now. That decision for me to continue to rebel against God, for me to continue to assert my rights, for me to continue to demand something from someone that I'm not even willing to give, is just not reflective of the love of God. It just doesn't reflect his grace. And now you can see why things are so frustrating for you right now. You can see why you're so fleshly and so carnal. Because you're imposing a standard on yourself or someone else that God doesn't even impose on you. You know what that's called? That's called creating your own religion. And if you're not careful, you'll even start to create a God in your own image. And becoming a God yourself. Paul warned us about that in Romans. And there's an expectation back in 1 Corinthians for us to grow. And the area of growing is, you know, grace and knowledge. When you read the Gospels, you're looking for the knowledge of Jesus 
in how he dealt with people, how he extended love, how he extended grace. Who, is the, who he, was he the strongest with? You know, the strongest people he was with were not the ones caught in sin. It were the ones that were self-righteous. And Jesus really got, he got in their face. So you guys, he doesn't even know what you're leading people. You're just as blind. You're leading people into the pit. And that's where 1 Corinthians, that's where we're at in chapter 3 here. They're not growing. The atmosphere in the Corinthian church was spiritual immaturity. Even the leaders, they weren't stepping in to stop it. That's why Paul had to write this letter as he got word from, from the church that, hey, things aren't going well here. Well, we need somebody to help us. And as he receives word and, and he begins to, to respond to the word that he received, he says, you guys are just being babies. I know that's not easy to hear when it applies to us, but who else is going to tell you? You wouldn't you want to know if you're acting like a baby? <laughs> I mean, well, no, I don't want to be, oh, I don't like it. No, but we need to know. That's how the church stays on track. That babies tend to be so cute and cuddly, but they're so self-centered and selfish. They're so messy and demanding. And that's a stage of life. It's just a stage of their life. And it's one thing to, to have a precious baby and, and you know, at, at three months to come home and the baby's kicking and screaming and crying there in the cradle. But what about your 18-year-old son? Do you want, what would you feel like if they were still in the cradle at 18? Gaga, goo, goo, daddy. Like, dude, go get a job, man. That's what you need. <laughs> Grow up. Because there's an expectation, even in our children, right, that they would grow and mature in stages. And we wouldn't impose an 18-year-old desire on a baby. And that's where God is. He's growing you. That's why you know people that have outpaced you in spiritual lives, don't you? That you guys got saved about the same time and they went right past you. Why? Because they wanted to. God grew them up really fast. And you might be that person. You got saved with someone else and you just took off. Why? Because you wanted to. You want to grow? God wants you to grow. You want to move from milk to meat? God wants you to move from milk to meat. It's not God holding you back. It's not God holding me back. If I want to give an hour to the word tomorrow, I'll give an hour. If I want to give five hours, I'll give five hours. If I want to give 20 hours, that would be hard. But let's just say that desire is what God gave me. Do you know that you really do what you want to do? You really do. And this is where, where he says, you guys, you're not spiritual. And we have to be careful ourselves. Because notice verse 3 now. For you are still carnal. And then he describes what he's, what he's showing. You want to know some of the marks of carnality. He says where, where there are envy and strife and divisions among you. Aren't you carnal? Behaving just like mere men. Behaving like, like normal people. Behaving like unbelievers. For when one says I am of Paul and another I am of Paulos. Aren't you carnal? When you start following man. Aren't you carnal? When you're elevating man and you're elevating the instrument and you're paying more attention to the instrument than you do the hand in which the instrument's being used. When you're starting to prop up and define yourself by what church you go to, what pastor you have, how this, and isn't it just carnal? And, and he's saying this in, in a way that, yeah, it is. It's just worldly who then verse 5 is Paul 
Because, you know, you know Paul's walking in spirit because since Paul was one of the guys they propped up, this would have been his perfect time to say, you know what? You guys that picked me, right on. <laughs> yeah, I can't believe anybody would go after Apollos or Peter or... No, he says, who am I? And who's Apollos? We're just ministers. You might want to circle that word. Next to it, you can write servants. Or you can also write, the Greek word here literally, literally refers to the under rowers in a ship. The ones that were propelling the ship, the, the slave galleys, the ones that were working their tail off to move the ship, but never got any credit, never got any care. The under rowers, ministers. You take on that title of pastor. You take on that title of minister that God's called you. God's called you to be an under rower. An unseen, sold out servant. He says, I'm Paul, Paulus, we're just servants. We're just under rowers. Through whom you believed. Through whom? Now, we're just instruments. The Lord gave to each one. I planted, verse 6. Apollos watered, but it was God that gave the increase. And that's always a great reminder when you're sharing the gospel, right? Only God's going to give the increase. You're, you're planting, you're watering, but only God's going to bring the truth alive in their hearts. It just, that's a relief to us when you read verse 6 because you're not responsible to save anybody. You're just planting and watering. And it's a great example of how God uses different people. Some of you are just great seed planters. You're just great at it. You just have this evangelistic zeal. You're able to say the right thing at the right time with the people in your life, and you're just seed planters. You're just able to drop some ideas in people's minds that they're going to think on and think on and think on. And the other ones, you just show up at the right time, and people just get saved around you. You hardly have to say anything. They just come up and say, hey, you got a Bible? Yeah, I want to get saved. All right, all right, great. And you start opening the scriptures, and you're watering a seed that was already planted. Like Jesus, he talked about going into fields that, that have already been taken care of. You're going into a harvest. You're going into, it's already, the work has already been done. It's a lot like the ministry here at Calvary. When we arrived, there was already a foundation of this church going on already. There was already work that someone had done, a whole group of people had done, to see a work start in Aurora. And we just walked into, and God led us into, well, there was watering and planting, but God gives the increase. He alone. And Paul, he planted with Corinth. Apollos watered it, and that's all great and wonderful, but God was the one who gave the increase. And it really reminds me, too, that in our uniqueness, we make a big mistake when we try to be like someone else. We make a big mistake where we wish we could, but God hasn't made us that way. I'm not talking about following a good example and say, oh, man, that's a great life to model. I'm talking about, man, I wish I could be like so-and-so. I really wish I could do that when God really hasn't called you to do that. He's called you to be like you. And so this is real encouraging because God will use Paul's and God will use Apollo's. He'll use you. You don't have to be like someone else. You just have to be a spiritual you. And God will use you. Not a carnal you, but a spiritual you. God will use you. And you don't have to be discouraged that you don't you, you don't operate in the gifts like someone else or you're not as fruitful or you don't get to water as much. or you, don't, you, you just be a spiritual you because he says, neither he who plants, verse 7, is anything. So those people that we're trying to be like, you know what the Bible says? They're nothing. And he who waters, but it's God that gives the increase. It's not, it, it's, 
as God is giving the increase, he says it twice because he wants us to know that the work of the ministry is through God. And you and I being different, God can use us both together. That's his body. And we don't have to be identical. Nor do we want to be identical. We want to be unique and individual just like Jesus saved us. A great example of how God uses different people can be seen between the life of Ezra and Nehemiah ministering to similar people. Because with Ezra, as he saw the idolatry and the idolatrous marriages of Israel, the Bible says that he plucked out his own beard in sorrow and mourning over the condition of the nation. He was more of a compassionate man, more of a man that would show contrition in what he saw in himself. And so he plucks out his own beard, sorrowing and sad over the condition of Israel. In Ezra chapter 9, verse 3, it says, So when I heard this thing, this is Ezra speaking, I tore my garment and my robe and plucked out some of the hair of my head and beard, and I sat down astonished. That was Ezra. He just all tore up, and he took it out on himself. Nehemiah? Years later, he comes upon, and he witnesses the same sin. You would think that he might want to follow Ezra's advice, but those of you that know the story... The Bible says, here's Ezra. (laughs) I mean, here's Nehemiah in Nehemiah 13. He says, so I contended with them and I cursed them. I struck some of them and I pulled out their hair. (laughs) And I made them swear by God saying, you shall not give your daughters as wives to their sons, nor take their daughters for yourselves. Which one was right, Ezra or Nehemiah? God used them both. Ezra pulls out his own beard. God honored it. Nehemiah gets a little crazy with the people and God used it. And even the question, as I asked that, who was right, automatically in our minds can easily set up some division. Some would say Ezra, some would say Nehemiah, but according to the scriptures, they were both used. So those of you that would like to curse and punch and pull people's beards out, Nehemiah! Those of you that are softer and more compassionate, Ezra. And yet God, one plants, one waters, but God gives the increase. God used them both. God used them both. Now, I'm not asking you to start any ministry like Nehemiah, okay? So don't come up and go, I think that's a great ministry. We just like to curse people out and pull their beards out. No, no, no. It's a uniqueness. But the truth is God used them both. Some people are sensitive and tender, While others are strong and expressive, some people have the gift of encouragement, some people have the gift of exhortation, and God uses them both. And so those that are more compassionate sometimes get upset with the people that are more exhortive. Instead of just seeing that you're a complement to one another, you're not against each other. One of you is going to be used to plant, one of you is going to be used to water. You might be used opposite, but God is going to give the increase. And you want to find what God's doing in your life And be spiritual so that God can use us to accomplish his purposes. And he says in verse 8 now, back in 1 Corinthians, he says, chapter 3, he says, Now he who plants and he who waters are one. And each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. Now he's given us a picture. We work together. We're, We're God's field. We grow together. So as servants of the Lord, we we work together, we grow together. And we're also God's building. We're being built up together. Peter would talk talk of us as being living stones, being built up on one another. Beautiful pictures. 
according, it says in verse 10, to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it, for no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. There is no other foundation. There's only one foundation for the church. That's not just this church, it's the church. There's only one foundation. The foundation of the church is not tradition. It is not the philosophies of men. It is not man-centered doctrine. It is not even church traditions. It is not what the fathers have taught. There is only one foundation. It's Jesus Christ. There is no other foundation. There is no other foundation of the church but Jesus himself. The gospel was given to us once and for all. That Jesus came to forgive your sins. That's the foundation of the church. You can't build on anything else. If you try to build on anything else, it's not going to stand. You're not going to make it. Pastor Ed Taylor reminding us that Jesus is the only foundation for life and the church. And you're listening to Abounding Grace. Pastor Ed, as you were talking about Christ as our foundation... I couldn't help but think of how important a good foundation is really for any building project. And the same is true for our lives and the church, as you said. Would you elaborate on that? You know, Larry, the foundation of anything is so important, and I'm reminded of Paul when he writes to the church in Corinth, for no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. And Jesus himself, remember, when he was teaching He gave us the parable of the two men that built their houses, one on the sand and one on the rock. And the only thing that revealed the foundation of the homes was the storms of life. Remember, there were storms that says that came and beat on that house. And I want to be careful in my own life to know that my life is being built on the solid rock of Jesus Christ, that the Word of God is the foundation of my life. Jesus actually put it this way. This is Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. He says, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I'll liken to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended and the floods came, and listen, the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall because it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it fell and great was its fall. And so the winds and the storms, they blow and they beat on every house, on every life. And it's the foundation of the rock, Jesus being our rock, that holds us steady in the storms of life. And so be careful, because there's a lot of temptations out there, a lot of different ways to live our lives, a lot of different to the left and to the right, a lot of voices, a lot of opinions. But be careful that you are building. You don't want to get to the end of your life and find out that you were building your life on the sand and that everything that you had done ended up being for nothing. Pastor Chuck Smith used to teach us. Uh, he's in heaven now, so he knows it's this for sure. And I don't think he, it was his quote. He was quoting someone, but he would teach us this. Only one life will soon be passed, and only what's done for Christ will last. And that's the truth. So be careful, guys, and build your house on the rock. Thanks, Larry. That bears repeating. 
Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. If you joined us late or would just like to hear this message again, turn to calvaryco.church. Or you can listen through our apps, too. Search for Calvary Aurora in the App Store or Google Play. If you take a brief moment to write or call, that would make our day. Let us know the station you're listening to and if today's study was a blessing to your life. We'd also love to pray for you. You can email us through the website at calvaryaurora.org. Abounding Grace is made possible through the support of our listeners. And when you give a donation of $25 or more to Abounding Grace, you're invited to request a copy of A.W. Tozer's book, The Pursuit of God. While many believers have settled for mediocrity or are living much like the world, that doesn't have to be your life story. You can experience a close and intimate relationship with God. Allow Tozer to point the way as you read The Pursuit of God. We appreciate the generosity of our listeners. It helps us provide the teaching of God's Word on stations all across the nation. We're constantly hearing from listeners that have been helped and are growing by God's abounding grace. Thank you for standing with us. Call 877-30-GRACE or visit calvaryco.church. And then be sure to join Pastor Ed Taylor next time for more teaching from the Word of God. That's right here on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace This is unfailing love That you would take my place That you would bear my cross You lay down your life That I would be set Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado.